Thank you for joining us on the Underdog Podcast, the place where we believe at one point in your life, you were an underdog and overcame adversity. And for that reason, we want to hear your story. I am your boy, Calvin Blackman. And I am Kyle Decker. This episode is powered by Planet Fitness. Hey, Black, it's 2020, and I am so motivated to work on this dad bod. I bet you are, Deck. I think Planet Fitness is the perfect place to do that, considering how much we travel. You're right, Black. I couldn't agree more. They have more than 1,800 locations nationwide with some of the cleanest spaces we've ever worked out in. Yeah, and don't forget the friendly staff and unlimited free fitness classes. So head over to their website today, planetfitness.com, and join us in making 2020 the year we rid the dad bod. Today is a podcast of epic proportion for the UDP Nation. Do you know why, Black? I think so, Deck, but tell me why. Well, I'm excited to share with everyone that not only are we doing our first podcast in front of a live audience, but our guest today will set and maintain an age record for us. Man, who is this legend? Dick Rolfs, who turns 90 next year. Woo! That's right. He's an impressive man who started his company out of a service station, and now 60 years later, Camco Chemicals is one of the largest contract chemical manufacturers and distributors in the marketplace. And we had the pleasure of not only being surrounded by his family, including his successor and son Richard, into the podcast, who retired at the end of 2019. Family is everything, and this family truly does everything together. It doesn't get better than that. Take it away, Black. Dick, we, you know, I want to say that we are honored to have you uh, as a guest here uh, in my, you know, couple of weeks with doing research and getting to meet your tremendous family. Uh, it's apparent the the lives that you've touched, um, you know, through Camco and then obviously just with your immediate family um, and the 19 grandchildren and, and, and so forth. So, you know, we want to Definitely take time and go through your journey, uh, you know, through life and Camco and the growth and everything. Uh, but I know we want to start out with uh, talking about who you were as a young man. Um, I know you mentioned, you know, when you were six years old, you can remember, uh, you know, the time that your father purchased the the service station, um, which was 82 years ago, which, you know, would definitely love to, uh, you know, have you kick us off from there and talk a little bit about, you know, that, where that journey began. Well, I, uh, to start with, uh, I would, I hate to correct people right on the get go, but my name is pronounced Rolfus. There we go. Not there it is. Rolf. See, look, see, I knew I was going to mess it up from the so get go. So we got, we got it. We got to make a correction right on the get go. So now it's all downhill from you. But I do, I do, um, uh, I blame that on your uh, grandson, Jason. So. <laughs> Let's get that started off right. I, I, I always channel to the other person, so. We'll deflect. Well, he has a little uh, trouble with that like I do. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, I do want to, uh, they asked me to say a few words about how, I guess, our company got started, uh, what, it, what it took to get it started. And this is going to be probably, you're going to have other uh, people doing other things that they will be interviewing from time to time. This may be the shortest one you ever had. I can make this very, very short, and it'll probably be the most, you'll, you'll learn more from one or two sentences about business, starting business, than you will from all the rest. I can guarantee it. This is what it is. 
uh, the, the, what I'm, reason I'm saying that is, since I've retired, which has been a few years back, the question that always is asked of me by everybody that comes up, do you know something that I can do that I can start a business? Well, the best advice I can give you ever in business is if you have to ask me, you shouldn't be going in business. You should be figuring that out for yourself. I can give you help. I give you ideas, everything else. But if you have to ask me what business, in fact, look at it this way. If you ask me what you should do, if I thought it was really good, I'd do it myself. I wouldn't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, 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 that's, that's where it all goes. It's got to be done. You got to do it yourself. You can't. If you have to ask questions in business, that's why I could never figure out how uh, some small businesses, they go out and they get experts. To, they hire and spend a lot of money bringing them in and experts that tell them how to run their business. If somebody's got to tell you how to run your business, you shouldn't be there. They should be there. So you've got to look at it as, a, as something that you can do on your own. And, and, and there is a lot of things you can do. And I could give you some ideas. In fact, probably some of the best jobs uh, that I've ever done, some of the best ones I've ever done are jobs that I've missed, that I lost. You know, uh, there were some. some learn, I learned most from losers. I never learned that much from a winner, because if I got a winner, I did it right. If I did a loser, I'd find out something. Why did I do that? Why did I do it that way? So uh, that, that's that's the part that you got to think about. And there's so many people, especially, uh, and I know a little bit about old people. I'm learning of that anyway. Uh, I'll get there one of these days. You're only you're only the young age of what? 88? Is that correct? Soon to be 89. Soon to be 89. Okay, I got that right. At least, at least I got my facts straight on that one. About, fact about, let's see, 16, 18 months from 90. For that. In fact, this will be a, my next birthday will be the last birthday I have that starts with an eight. All the rest will start starting with nines. And hopefully the ones after that will start with a one. So Let's keep it going. We'll keep it going if we can. I, don't, I think that'll be about it. So anyway, <laughs> but it's, uh, life, life has been very good to me. Uh, my business has been good. And my father... Uh, unfortunately for me, I was in the service. I was uh, in the Air Force. I only went in for a short period, very short period of time. But my father, at 45 years old, dropped dead. And we had a small little service station, which you could see. And that service station was very, very small. And you know, something, one of the best pieces of advice for any business is why they called it a service station. That's because when you went in a service station in 1937 when he bought the service station, two little gas pumps, we walked out to your car, or maybe ran out to your car. We started with that, told you, asked you what you wanted. We put the gas in. We checked the oil. We checked the tires. We cleaned the windshield, probably give you an ashtray and a whole bunch of things, and all that for four cents a gallon. That's what we made. All during World War II, the price was frozen at four cents a gallon. Profit for us, gross profit. Can we bring that back? <laughs> <laughs> well, we can. We, we can work on that. That's. Can we get them back in the the, the service station business? <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, and that started. Uh, my, my father bought the business, this little service station, for five hundred dollars. I don't know. Do we have a picture of that one, Jace, up there? Mm -hmm. No, we do. Okay, that that was the first building. He bought that and borrowed $500 from his father. He never borrowed another nickel in his entire life. Uh, and and we, we, we lived on, we, we, had, we, we lived very good, I thought we did. We had plenty to eat, we had never got wet from the rain. So we did pretty, pretty good. But my father passed away, I was in the service. 
when they came to me, uh, and I was 20 years old, uh, I was in San Antonio, Texas, where, where they sent me. Uh, I, you know, they, I went to my father, and I was, knew I was up for a draft. I, I knew nothing to keep me out of the service, so I knew I was going to be drafted. And I looked in the uh, Enquirer, Cincinnati Enquirer, where the Air Force was very desperate for pilots. Uh, and new, new, it, was very, it was a very young Air Force for us at that time. But they said if, if they could find people like myself, high school education, that could pass all the tests, they might be eligible for to be a pilot. And I told my dad, I said, you know, I can't kill anybody. I don't think I can shoot somebody. And in those years, well, Civil War or all the previous wars, you stood up and they stood up and the one guy to pull first one. You know, he shot the other guy. I, I, I couldn't kill anybody. I said, I just don't feel like I could do it. Probably they treat you, they train you that. They show you eventually how to, how to kill somebody. But I couldn't do it. So I said, I want to try to see if I can join the Air Force and maybe I'll be lucky. So my dad uh, said, well, you, you go ahead and do, do as you see fit. If uh, uh, you want to go in the Air Force, go ahead. So I went to Newport, Kentucky, went into the recruitment officer and told him what I wanted. He said, be great. So he sent me over to a doctor to be examined. And I know I filled out a few pieces of paper. And so well, he said, you can get on service. You can sign up any day you want. You're on. So that was in uh, probably early October or maybe the 1st of November. 1951, and I thought, well, I I'll, I'll, I'll told him, I said, maybe I'll stay home for Thanksgiving, and then I'll go in. Well, about three days later, the envelope came in the mail. The return address on there was, so, uh, uh, let's see, what was it? Uh, oh, something about, I knew I was drafted, let's put it that way, for, for whatever, that, however they captured that, uh, I knew I was drafted. So I went back to the guy in Newport. I said, you know what? I changed my mind. I think I'll go tomorrow. He said, okay, go ahead. <laughs> they put me in, sent me to, on a train to uh, St. Louis, from St. Louis down to San Antonio. And uh, I got my uniforms and a lot of shots in the arm and those things. And finally they told me, they said, well, okay, I think you're fine and everything else. So yeah, they were so crowded down there. We weren't even sleeping in a building. We were sleeping in a tent. There were about 12 of us to a tent sleeping on an army cot. That's why we were sleeping. About five days later, after I was in the service, a guy comes in the tent about, I don't know, I'll say eight or nine, ten o'clock at night, and shines a light in my eyes. and said, Rolfus, Rolfus, CO wants to see you. Well, I didn't know who the CO was. I found out later I was the commanding officer, but anyway... I went, went to see the commanding officer. They took me in a jeep. All he said to me was, the chaplain wanted to see you. So I went to see the chaplain. He said, I have to tell you, your father passed away. I said, well, I'm sorry, but I think you made a mistake. I said, because that's impossible. I just talked to him last night. It's impossible. He said, well, does he bowl on Monday night? And I said, well, yeah. Does he bowl in Newport, Kentucky? And all of a sudden, I'm beginning to realize, I think this guy knows what he's talking about. So he said, well, he said, we'll send you back to Cincinnati, or to, or to Kentucky on it. We have a, a, a plane coming in from Korea, and it's uh, got some wounded on there. But they'll be taking some off here, a couple of them off here. And you have you can get on a plane and get a hop from there to, to Washington, D.C., and get a commercial airline back to uh, Kentucky. 
So he said, it'll be in about one o'clock. Go get some clothes and get you packed and come back over here. They'll, they'll take you over here. Well, it didn't come in at one o'clock. It came in about eight in the morning, but I did get in on that plane. So I've never been on an airplane in my entire life before. I didn't know what you had to out first, you know. Whether the engines go first or they go back, I don't know what happened. But they got me on the plane. I walked up those steps. I looked in there, there were no seats, all caskets. Or not caskets, that wasn't it. Not yet. There might have been some, but they were all in stretchers. They said, see that stretcher up there? There's two empty stretchers. Get one of those. You, that's what you're going to. So my first takeoff in an airplane was in a stretcher. So that was kind of a, a little bit. Uh, if it hadn't been that my uh, father had just passed away, I probably uh, would have been scared to death. But I was too mind working so, so much. I, I, I just had to do whatever I wanted next. So we flew. Uh, those planes, no, no jets, of course, all props. Uh, we flew, uh, it seemed like all day, and it was pretty much all day. I think we, we probably took off maybe at 9 o'clock and got to Washington, D.C. about 5 o'clock. And the whole time, real quick, Dick, the whole time you were laid out on a stretcher? Uh, after I got the on the plane, yeah. Wow. Well, I think I could get up and oh, okay. get a drink of water, but that was about it. That's wild. Uh, so that was my experience of the first uh, flight in an airplane. So I get American Airlines, and they said, well, we, you're lucky. So we haven't been able to go all day, but we have a plane that will probably leave in an hour. It makes one stop in Charleston, West Virginia, and you can be in Cincinnati in about three hours. That's, I mean, that's how slow they were. They didn't go very fast, you know. So we, we get, in, get, get, on, get on the plane, take off, and that plane was everything but upside down, I thought. I know. I used the upchuck bag at least three times. <laughs> And I finally landed in Charleston, and uh, I, I fell sound asleep because I hadn't probably slept in most of two days. I hadn't much sleep. And they finally they woke me up, and they said, well, we have a problem. He said, airlines always have a problem, minor problem. They never have major problems. They have minor problems. And anyway, they said, uh, what we'll do is uh, we, we're going to have to close the airport's closed because the plane behind us slid off the end of the runway, and the airport's closed. So, oh, boy, am I, what do I do now? So they said, well, we can either... To put you on a train sometime in the middle of the night. I forgot when it was, but and take you to Cincinnati on it or Kentucky on a train, or we can wait till tomorrow morning. We're pretty sure we'll have it all cleared off and we'll be able to make it into into Cincinnati uh, and Cincinnati Greater Airport, Greater Cincinnati Airport. I don't think it'd been open over a few months. Is all it was. So okay, I'll, I'll take the, I'll take the plane ride. I said anyway. So I did that. Went to sleep. Got up in the morning. They took me over. Put me on a plane. And it was a little DC three, I think it was, and of course it had prop two prop engines, one on just a little bit it had about twenty people on it, and I'm sitting on the right hand side, and I looked out the window, and the motor on my side it was like this, it was it was just sitting there, it was it wasn't turning. I said well, I didn't gotta do much good, so they, they did, then the pilot came on and made a little announcement. He said, well we not we have I have another one of those little problems. He said, uh, well, we're going to have to fly into Lunkin Airport, the old Cincinnati airport, because he said, we, we're not going to be able to make that altitude. He said, we'll fly in right over the Ohio River all the way in. And when we land, he said, the stairs will go down and you get off this airplane. He said, we're not taxiing any anywhere. You, wherever I stop it, you get off, which I did, of course. And then we got in there. And finally, that was my second ride on an airplane. <laughs> so, so it was pretty exciting, obviously, as a start. And uh, you'd think you'd never get back on an airplane in your life, but... Unfortunately, my um, I'm, I'm leading all of this up to because this is the start of how Camco really started, believe it or not. 
My father then uh, had passed away. Nobody was running the service station. It only had two employees, my father and myself. He's passed away, and I'm been in service. So our local congressman, which, who, whom I did not know, but uh, they finally said to me, uh, he, uh, he's, he's found out about your situation. And I guess he knew my mom and dad pretty well. And he said, you only have a 10-day leave. He said, your mom's going to need some help. So he said, I, I got you 20 more days. And, oh, okay, that's fine. So you got to help your mom. Well, about halfway through that 20 days, he came back and he said, well, he said, Senator Spence uh, also decided that, uh, I think he was a representative. I take that back. He wasn't a senator. But anyway, he said, he found out about your situation, he says, and he's pending discharge for you. You don't have to take it, but if you want, you can be discharged on a hardship and dependency discharge because you do have to support your mom. And I had a, I had a little girl in there. My little sister was 14 years younger than me, so she was just in school, I think the first grade. So that's that's how I got started in the, to the service station business. And I'd worked with my father. We lived next door to the service station, which was only two pumps. <laughs> You'll see the building there that's got two bays, which he made, one for me to work on a car and one for him because I said, I want to work with my dad. He taught me how. I Probably when I was 20 years old, I could fix any, not bragging or anything, anything that was wrong with any car on the road at that time, I, was, I could fix it. So, But the only problem is I didn't know. I, said, I didn't know what to charge. <laughs> my dad always wrote the bill out and collected the money, and I just helped do the work. So we finally did get... Get, I, I finally figured that out, obviously. Did pretty well figuring it out, I guess, because it was profitable. But the service station was great. After being in the service station, that was in 1951. The service station was great through the early 50s. But by the late 50s, they were putting in service stations uh, next with 15 gas pumps, and you put your own gas in and clean your own windshield and do everything yourself. Not... Uh, not not the way I was doing it. I mean, I will have a little sip of this. Take your time. Oh. Now, now <clears throat> I think just to kind of add on to that, while you sip the water there, get, my man is my man is a gift for words. I thought I had a lot. Dick is very, very good at this. So. Um, <clears throat> but you had 10 businesses. I think we had talked about this. Oh. On, 10 businesses, and their first was at age five. You were hustling, <laughs> so you kind of knew – you had your own businesses. Well, and stepping in was 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 new and a little frightening, but also you've, you you kind of had been there before, right? Yeah, but I've kind of uh, let that little part slip by. But no, that's true. We were uh, my dad was born and raised on a farm, so they raised all their own food. Uh, they took everything up. It was a little town called Millhouse in Indiana. So uh, we well, we lived with my grandmother, and it was a fairly big lot, not real big, but he. Because he had lived on a farm, because he always provided for his own uh, uh, subsistence by raising their own vegetables and chickens and whatever, uh, we had vegetables too. Now my mom tells this story, so told this story when she, not now, but when she was alive, and tells this story about uh, me and I. And I don't know if it's true or not, but I, she's told it so many times I almost believe it. She said one morning she gets not not a phone call. We didn't have telephones, but somebody came and said, "Mrs. Rolfus, your son." This guy and I, you know, every little boy had a little red, they called it a little red wagon, you know, about that long and about that high and some wheels about like that. And uh, he's got it full of vegetables he took out of your dad's, out of your husband's garden, and he's selling them. <laughs> so I was in business. All of a sudden, I'm in business. <laughs> and I don't remember that one. That was the first one. But after that, 
Yes, I did. I, 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 I always wanted whatever anybody else could do, I figured I could do it the same way and I could do it for myself. So I'll just real quick try to see if I can remember the time I was a caddy at the golf course at 10 years old. I was, that was one of the businesses. I had a, a chain, not a chainsaw, I didn't have chainsaws, a buck saw, they called it, to cut down locust posts, and I was cutting them down eight feet and six inches long and sell them to the state of Kentucky. I'd drag them down to the highway, and I got 75 cents a piece for them. So I was, I was in that business. I was racing rabbits and selling rabbits. I raced beagle hound dogs and sold a lot of, I, they were good hunters, those dogs, so I, I sold, sold, sold them. I, so there was, there was a, a lot of... Uh, a lot of activity in my life about being in business and doing things. So it really worked out uh, that it was just the beginning. So and like I said, my dad had the service station. As I grew a little older, I was leaning over the side of the car watching what he did. And that was probably the smartest name ever called a business ever. When it was a business type of business, when it was called a service station. Today... People say, well, I was at a service station because we provided all the service. We did everything to your car for nothing. Tires, check the tires, check the oil, check the water, check the windshield. We did everything. If people today, which is getting, we're getting further and further and further away from that with the exception of a couple of companies that I know we deal with, and personally I'm talking about, we deal with these companies. We, we, every, every, we get further and further away from service. They, they want to do it on a computer. Uh, they do Amazon, you, you know, if you go to Amazon and you want to buy something, you sit in your kitchen, get your computer or your iPad out, and you type in what you want and walk outside, and it's probably at the door. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and if you don't get out there, <laughs> it's too late. But that's how, that's that. now that's service, and that's what service is. So I kind of carried that thought, not intentionally maybe, it just was embedded in me. That when I started a business like the, uh, and I'll go back to how I got into the chemical business, but when I started that, I realized that you know you had to give service. I mean, if if you really want to get known above everybody else, so what I was doing when I was running the service station, like I said, toward the uh, end of my, I I ran it for ten years, and toward the end of the ten years, or nine years, I guess, by the end of the nine years, I. Uh, I was uh, probably uh, at that time, uh, uh, I lost again, but by, uh, oh, uh, by, by the end of the, the nine years, they were building these stations with 15 guest pumps, so I, had, I didn't have room for more than two. I didn't have any money to put them in anyway. So uh, all of a sudden, uh, I, I, I just did, did, didn't have a choice. I had to do something. So I did go back, and I did go to college at night for about two or three years, but took maybe two or three courses a semester is all it could take. So that, that was that was the reason I had to do it that way. Always thinking that, uh, you know, I was uh, going to start my own business of some kind, but I still thought I better go to college because if I go out to get a job, I've never had a job, never worked for anybody else. And since then, I've never worked. So I've never had a job working for anyone else. So anyway, I ended up getting the, getting the business started. And I felt one of my customers worked for a company, a distributor for chemical uh, ingredients and basic chemicals and I would buy a floor cleaner to clean my garage floor from him because I always liked to keep the place as clean as I could and finally one day he said to me he said Dick he said why don't you make this and I said make it how do you make it I said I don't even like chemistry quite frankly <laughs> I said well, why do I, how am I going to make it they said well 
you, you got to put this in the mixer and you, I, wait, whoop, whoop, whoop. I said, you can't do it in a mixer. I don't have a mixer. So I made a mixer. My mixer was, if some of you that are maybe a little bit older might know what a mortar box is, but you dump 400 pounds of ingredients in this tray. I built a tray about three and a half feet wide, about eight foot long, put a galvanized piece of galvanized steel on it, got a hole with a couple of holes in it and hoed it back and forth until it got mixed. It looked like it was mixed. Then took it out and shoveled it in a bucket. Well, there were uh, little, um, uh, they call them wagon jobbers, would come around. They sold my dad some little stuff that he resold, and then they sold it to me when my dad passed away, and I did it. We had these uh, things that we uh, went ahead and, uh, I, so I had these buckets. I had made about 10 of them, and uh, a couple of these wagon jobbers came in and said, what's that? And I told them, and they said, well, maybe we could sell that. So I knew them, and they had to buy for me. So the guy, first guy put maybe three or four of them in his truck. And he was, he used to come and see me every month. He was back in about a week. And he said, hey, they said, I sold all four of them right away. So their service stations, they were buying these. He said, he bought some more. And, uh, and there was another jobber that came in, and he, he, bought, he bought it from me, and he did it. And I thought, well, you know, they knew me. Now, if I go, this is what I'm reading, I'm bringing it up to this. Before you start in any business, do your research. So I thought, I, I got to find out. They're buying it from me because they know me. I mean, it's, it's like selling life insurance. You know, you, 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 a life insurance company will take anybody that applies for a job because you're going to sell your mom and your dad and your aunt and your uncle and your brothers and sisters, and it's over. <laughs> you can't sell anybody else. They won't buy it from you because they got their brother and sister. <laughs> so I thought, I, I got I to I gotta do something here. So finally, I went ahead and started started. Uh, 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 taking the, and uh, make, making the product. I said, I got to go sell it. So I went to a couple of uh, places in Cincinnati that sold automotive parts and that and convinced them, of course, now they still knew me, that they could sell this. So I sold them maybe 10 buckets at a time. And then I thought, well, you know, this might just work. So then I went up, I was driving up to uh, Dayton, Columbus, Indianapolis, Louisville, Lexington, Charleston, Huntington, and uh, and all of a sudden, I found out that I really had something. You know, I, could, I, could, I could sell this stuff. And then, of course, it got bigger and bigger, and I went from that. I got to a point where I, where I, I, I then I got manufacturer's reps. We had a rep uh, for almost every section. Like I had a rep in Chicago, a rep in Detroit, a rep in St. Louis, a rep in Kansas City. Not Kansas City. Yeah, Kansas And I went around uh, Memphis, Nashville, everywhere. But if you didn't go work with that rep at least one week a year, he didn't do much. Because he had a catalog about that thick. And in that catalog, he uh, uh, had, had everything else he was selling. So yours was a page in the book. That's all it was. But if you went and worked with him for a week, he, had, he highlighted your product. So I uh, started, started selling with him. I would work like with – I'd try to have breakfast with him on Monday – Work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then drive home on Friday. And there was no expressways except the Pennsylvania Turnpike. It was zero expressway. So I uh, finally ended up getting getting the uh, the, the product, and uh, uh, we uh, uh, let's see, we the, the uh, oh drive, driving driving. Oh, drive, what I do is I want to work say like I was working with a guy in Chicago. I was going to work with him this week. So I get to Chicago. I'd leave home at 1 o'clock in the morning, drive to Chicago, and have breakfast with a rep and work with him all week. Or I might drive to 
Detroit, or I might drive to now St. Louis. I couldn't quite make that was a little too far. I had to usually leave on Monday, but I didn't start working with him until Monday evening, and then would sit and talk, and then would go to work on Tuesday. But uh, anyway, that's that's how it grew. But that's but but I kept that back. The main thing back there. Remember the, the one sentence there. It was so important. You had to have. If you don't have service, you're just another vendor. That's all. You're selling something. Unless you unless today, they, of course, they got some high tech stuff. That uh, number one, I can't even make my phone work half the time. So well, at least you you know how to work Amazon. It sounds like <laughs> uh, so yeah, you got that figured you out. Got to get it delivered. You and my wife get along real well. <laughs> so you probably got some packages waiting on your front porch right now. <laughs> uh, they may be. <laughs> I know the bills in the mailbox. Yeah. <laughs> I got that down. That part's there. I want to ask you something real quick, Dick. So oh, sure. The the California piece. So, would you consider you know from, from a you know dealing with like the underdog since we're the underdog podcast, overcoming adversity and working through things? You kind of touch upon this in your book, and and we've kind of talked about it. Talk to us a little bit about the move out west and some of the adversity you faced with that business decision. Well, the reason the reason for doing that in the first place, and we're in that position right as we speak here, the reason for doing that is that uh, you got to look at if you're going to try to sell whatever you're selling, look at it from your customer side. What does he want? To what does he need? Why does he need it? And if you're uh, going to sell this product all over the country, he has the, the, my customer has two costs, three, well, three or four costs, but two main costs. He has the cost of goods. He has our fee for making the product for him. Then he has the product of he's got to get it somewhere. He's got to deliver it. Got got to be delivered. Well, if if you if you've got a product that you're in Northern Kentucky and you're going to ship it to uh, Kansas City or you're going to ship it to Dallas or you're going to wherever it is, that's a pretty good freight bill. Now, if I can have a plant in Dallas that makes it as equip as efficiently as I make it here. <laughs> And I go to call on you, and I say, well, look, I can fix your pro make your product here, and I can make it there, and I can make it maybe up in New Jersey and Philadelphia or somewhere maybe. I can make you those three places. My competitor, he's, he's tough. He's, a, he's in big trouble if he don't have the same thing. And I don't have to come down in my price to get your business. I can hold my price, so I'm still making my money, but I've already got it where you want it. And so I decided I had to have it in California. And I probably looked at... Uh, I'll say at least 10 different companies out there. And in most cases, one looked worse than the other. And I uh, decided that uh, I, I finally ran into this opportunity to buy this one. It was in City of Industry in Los Angeles. Uh, the reason for it, one of the reasons for it, Procter & Gamble had a plant there. Uh, FMC had a plant. Anyway, there were three or four plants there. And uh, I thought, boy, you know, uh, with those plants being there, I'm, and I know all those people, I'm, I'm in with a new plant. Well, as it turned out, California was, as we know, and it's even gotten many, many times worse today. California is such that you can't, uh, you, you just can't, you can't go to California without, now they're going to, I mean, I, I went to California, I wanted to put a new mixer in, a liquid mixer. Oh, well, he had one mixer. It was The plant already did make product like we make, but they weren't as big as I'd like to be. So I wanted to put a new liquid mixer in, so I bought one, maybe two. And they came in there in this big crate, and they're sitting around the floor and falling. And California or Los Angeles, or, they were constantly sending people in to see what you're doing. This guy came in, he said, what's that? I said, oh, those are, those are new mixers we're putting in. He said, you got your permit? I said, permit? I don't know. I just bought them. I didn't, didn't build them or anything. He said, well, he said, we consider that building them. He said, you need a permit. 
Oh. So I bought the permits, whatever that cost. I took a month or two months to get that done. Finally got that taken care of. And I get them up, and I'm all ready to plug it in and make it work, you know? And he said, uh, what are you doing there? I said, well, we finally got those mixers running. He said, you, bought a, you have a permit to build. You don't have a permit to operate. You need a permit to operate. So now I have to buy that one. It, it, it just... Got to love California, right? Don't so Ooh. fortunately, uh, I'm at Buckeritone, Florida, at a convention that happens every year, talking to the CEO of a company called Echolab, which is very big. And I'm sitting there talking to him, and I was very fortunate to become friends with him. And he said, boy, he said, you should never have gotten that plant in California. I should be back in that plant. And I said, say that again. He said, I'd like to be back in California. I sold. <laughs> <laughs> I, took, I took a pretty good hit on it, but I got out of it. <laughs> and from there on in, it, believe me, it went downhill from there. So it was, uh, like I said, some of the best things you ever do are the things you don't do. So don't uh, cry too hard when you lose a business or you lose a sale or something like that goes on. Don't cry too hard because you might be lucky. And it turns out that way. Anyway, that was the beginning of the, Cal the plant of California operation. I moved out of there. Uh, we will be back in the West, not in California. You know, if anything, it would be more maybe in Arizona, maybe Nevada, somewhere out there. We got to have a facility that we can make it in out there and price it from that point, not from the point here. I have a question. Um, so, and I saw the quote downstairs uh, when we were just eating, uh, and I don't remember it verbatim, but you talked about um, you founded the company. You didn't grow the company um, along those terms, but I know you have incorporated, you know, family in. At what point did you start to really want to bring the family more into the picture? Um, because obviously, as we've mentioned in the beginning, I mean, this here, I mean, family is, is everything to you. What kind of brought that decision on, and, and when did all of that kind of start to transpire? <laughs> yeah, it, it kind of started with, um, you know, I sent Richard. Uh, he grew up and got older, as you can see. He's retiring next week, by the way. <laughs> wow. All right. Every, well, anyway, he's hey. retiring next week. He's throwing, Everyone's on blast. Don't yeah. worry. Don't shots worry. At everyone. So anyway, no one is safe, just so you know. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No telling what's going to happen next. But I sent him to school, you know, and the idea was that he would come back. I could get him a job at one of the major chemical companies. He could go to work for them, steal a lot of good processing no, not maybe the manufacturing, but the operations and how it could be done. That was in 1980 or 81, Richard, wasn't it? Two, somebody missed it. Anyway, so he goes, comes back, and I'm going to do that. Well, in 1982, you couldn't get a job at Frisch's, or you couldn't get a job at McDonald's. I mean, it was just, there were no jobs out there. So he finally decided, well, I guess you might as well come to Camp Co. now, because my idea was he would go there, work for them for three years or four years, come back to Camp Co., and then do what he did. So he started off, he, he did get the worst job in, his, in the plant, I'll tell you that. And ask him, he knows. He worked on the night shift and the dirtiest job we had. And, but, he, but he just suffered through it. So uh, anyway, he, he, that's, how it, that's how it started, the family started. Well, there we go, perfect timing. Your Good. grandson's stepping up again. Crawling over. Must, so from there, from, from there, <laughs> you know, from there, it, it grew on to Richard. And it was Richard's job to see about uh, growing up and taking over the company, which he did uh, a few years later after that. And then it was his job to put the Jasons and the Anthonys and the Adrians and put all them into work. He was the one to put them on. I uh, 
was a little bit skeptical at first. <laughs> Having somebody else do the hiring, especially on the management jobs, uh, I was a little bit concerned that uh, maybe we were getting too much family. Well, as it turned out, it was the best thing we ever did. Yeah. In our case, not that don't work in all cases. In all cases, uh, you find a, a family business starts in uh, maybe two, definitely almost three generations. It's it's no longer in existence. They managed to see the money there, and then all of a sudden, you know, a lot of people, <laughs> especially the, some of the younger people, that they think all you do for business is buy a cash register and take money out. I know that's that's all you do. It's right there. That's what he thinks right there. <laughs> yeah, he just, he's always looking. Where's mine? Where's mine? Yeah, exactly. Um, My mentality. Something I believe you gifted uh, a lot of people within the family or at work is the book called The Ultimate Gift. Is that correct? Yes, I, I found that book. I, I forget who gave me that or showed it to me first. And it's quite a book, isn't it? Did you read it, by the way? I have not, but Jason recommended it. I have, I have some copies. I will see that you get some. I'm, they're in Florida, but I'll, I'll send some up here. And the ultimate gift, I'm not going to tell you about it. You read it. Okay. It'll be, I never thought about that. That'll fit your program here just like a T. And you, you need some. And in fact, if you need some, I bought it. I liked it so much. I gave each, I think each grandchild and child got one. And then also, I, I think I bought, I don't know, 50 of them or something. But, I, you know, that was the deal. Get a better, a better price. But no, I, I will see that you get one of those. And you need to get that ultimate gift. I tell you, I'm, 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 I don't read books. I'm not a very good reader. In fact, I, two things I can't do is read and spell. See, I was always so bad at my mom because she didn't call me Ed. Because I could have, if you didn't call me Ed, I could have spelled my name pretty soon. But not, 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 not Dick. That's pretty far down the line. So anyway, but obviously you got some some sort of uh, well, ability here. Well, what happened there? Uh, uh, well, we got interviewed for that too. <laughs> So you've hired good help. You've yeah. had people help you write the book. Okay. So he's teaching us a lot of life lessons here. Well, that's why I wanted to do this. Surround yourself with you, good you, people. You, exactly. You, do, you, you don't have to be so smart yourself. You have to be smart enough to hire smart people. And we have them with that family that I have. I tell you, I'm more proud of them. Every day I get a phone call from somebody telling me, oh, Grandpa, you know, we've talked to this account or that account, and I think we're okay. I get just as happy today as I did 50, 60, 70 years ago. It was just unbelievable. I just, oh, wow, that's really great, you know. And then you win some and you lose some. You, you, know, you know, we have some situations where it doesn't always work out the best, but, you know, everybody tells you about the biggest fish they caught. So you always tell the good news. You don't tell the other news. Tell the good news. But uh, that's, of course, I go to be a politician too, I guess. But anyway, that's how it works. It's, uh, and you've had a few big clients that helped you get off the ground, right? Oh, that's up one mean, over It's like you guys have helped our staff, yeah, yeah. Them, but you had a couple. Oh, that one over in Cincinnati. That, what, oh, Procter & Gamble, that little company. I, I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They, yeah well, that, actually, one. actually, there was a fellow over there who was in charge of, uh, they called it contract manufacturing, which what we're, that's what we're looked upon as a contract manufacturer. And for some reason, he liked me. I don't know why, but he did. But we would, I, they'd send me a piece of paper, you know, and here they want you to give us a price on this. Well, I didn't know I was bidding. I just said, well, here's what it would be. And we'd always get it. And I could never understand why, but I found out this particular fellow would go back to the buyer who might have three or four people bid on it or quote on it. And he'd go back to the buyer and say, give it to Campco, give it to Campco. <laughs> Campco got everything. And I, that was a little help. Well, we were making at one time a little, here we are, a little place 
probably 15 years old, and we were over in Fort Thomas in a little old building, and we're, we're, we're making product like that, and we start making product for Procter & Gamble, and their commercial laundry detergent, not for household use, but for laundromat, not, not laundromats that you put quarters in, people that do laundry for companies and people that do laundry for hospitals and hotels and things like that. We were making the product for the entire United States in that little building. I'd get a call, and it was always, it went out in 100-pound bags, and I'd get the, the order called in, okay, we need 8,000 100-pound bags, 8,000 bags of this and 2,000 of that and three of that. Next week, or next, not next week, yeah, next month, get the same, similar order. And that's pretty good for a little company. So uh, now it so, didn't so, always go into where it's supposed to go, right? You're telling us some story where sometimes it would fall out, or there was a truck that backed up into, and then it fell on the ground and froze. Well, and that was a, that was a little different story. That was. A, <laughs> uh, yeah, this that, is an incredible story. You well, got you got to tell it. Well, actually, there was a, there was a raw material for the one product, the new product that came out. And it went into a granular product, but a lot of times in, in a granular product, you have a liquid mixed, blended into it. It's, so it coats all the little granular beads or whatever as you mix it up. Well, this product came out and that's what had to be done. The problem with it was for us or for anybody, this product was a, was a, was a solid. In other words, it was like lard or butter at 125 degrees Fahrenheit. So, it would it didn't get it would get it would get become a liquid at that point, and then we could get it on the granular. Otherwise, you couldn't get it on the granular. So Procter and Gamble said they wanted to be first one to use in this product in the market anywhere in the United States. They didn't want anybody to beat them. So they said we would like you to make this. I said, well, I I don't have any way of heating that you know, get to get that in there. And you're talking about using a lot of them, buying it in tank trucks, you know, five thousand gallon at a time. And I said well, I will build a, a couple of tanks and heat them. But, you know, you don't buy these things at Walgreens. We have to, it's going to be six months before we can get it done. They said, well, we'll build a hot room. And it was probably not about half the size of this. We'll, we'll send it to you at 165 degrees. That's pretty hot. Send it to 165 degrees. You drum it off, put it in the drums, put it in the hot room, and keep it hot till you use it. And we'll just use that way of doing it until you get your new tanks. Well, everything was good. Well, that was in 1977 and 1970, or I, it was either 77 or 78. I don't remember which. But that, and as we did that, as we're drumming it off, you know, some of it kind of spill on the ground. Well, I didn't even have a paved driveway. I had gravel. But so it would drop out, and before it would hit the ground, it was a solid. By the time it hit the ground, now it's all coated. But you don't know it. It's cold. It's, you know, as I say, you know what the temperature was the night. You look it up. 1977, that's the coldest ever in Cincinnati. It was 27 below zero here. Not wind chill, 27 below, period. And it had dropped all winter long. We know we didn't know anything about it. Well, come about April or May, uh, something like that, it warmed up. Now all this stuff is in my uh, driveway, and it got warm enough that the sun's shining on it, it started to melt. And as it melted, now it's running out like this, running down into the creek across from us down the flow and down U.S., a uh, little creek alongside of U.S. 27. Well, and was it, 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 anything like that flows over a rocky or any rough territory, it starts to foam up because it's agitating it all the way down. When it agitated, when it got really warm, we had about 20 or 30 feet high. 
foam going down US 27 for about a mile. <laughs> well, I tell you that uh, that uh, was pretty rough. But we what we did, we went ahead and got some. Uh, and bought every hardware store and bought the sprayers they did and put alcohol in them and sprayed out. And alcohol will kill foam almost immediately, but this is a lot to kill. <laughs> Cincinnati Enquirer had the picture in the top half of the front page was Camco, or US-27, not us, US-27. And a couple of guys walked through this foam, and you just saw their shadow right through that foam. <laughs> but it took about two or three hours, four hours before we got it cleaned up, but we finally got to use it. In fact, if that happens today... I wouldn't fix it like that. I wouldn't do anything. I'd just go home and pack. <laughs> I, I'm on my way to jail. There's no question about that. But anyway, we, and I made, had to make sure. I was making product for Procter & Gamble. So I had to make sure their name didn't, didn't, I didn't want that on the front page of the Cincinnati Enquirer. And they obviously realized the problem, but they appreciated their name not appearing anywhere. Because that was not so good. So that's how that uh, little story uh, worked and how it ended up. But, it, you know, it was, it was, it was, it's funny now. It wasn't very funny back then. So, <laughs> anyway. um, one thing I know uh, Jason has mentioned as well is, um, you know, changing mindset of, of work ethic. Uh, and one thing that was, was kind of discussed was, um, you know, your ability to, you know, to anticipate changes, you know, in the landscapes. And as you're growing the business, what would you say you could attribute, um, I guess, that skill to to be able to navigate, you know, because, again, you're, you're, you're building a business really is just kind of learning on the fly. You know, what would you attribute those some of that success to? Well, as you uh, think about it, you got to think about other businesses uh, historically over the last so many years. For instance, when I was a young kid, which was a long time ago, Sears and Roebuck would send you a catalog, and it was about like a phone book, about two inches thick, and everybody, everybody in the United States probably paged that open and found something in there they wanted. And so Sears and Roebuck would send it to you. And you'd think, boy, now there's a company, they're going to be here forever, absolutely forever. And you would have bet big money on it that they would be here forever. As it turns out, they're bankrupt today. So that tells you. Now, that's just one. There's other companies. Look, look, at, look at Eastman Kodak. You used to go into any, any uh, drugstore or something, and they had a stack of cigarettes over here and some film over there. And you, you know, I want two rolls of that and two rolls of that and a night bar for there. And I'm going to take pictures, and I bring them back, and I give them to you, and you, clear, you, you process them and sell them back to me. And there's 30 there, and two are good, and they sell the rest away. And, <laughs> That's pretty much it. But that, but you have to see it coming. If they had seen it coming, Eastman Kodak wouldn't be bankrupt either. They would have been in the business like Bob Gates, or not Bill, not Bob, Bill Gates, and they would have been the one that had that. But they weren't quite, weren't quite there. Right, look at look at some of the uh, probably some of the greatest things that ever happened in the United States was uh, the growth of uh, of these. Uh, uh, different uh, things in our, our business that we have today. Look at look at what we do. We send something up to the moon. I thought that was the dumbest thing I ever heard in my life. As it turned out, if we hadn't gone into space, we wouldn't be talking on this or that telephone or none of them. Nothing. We had to go into space. But you would have thought, you, so you've got to be up on top of it. If we don't grow our company, if it doesn't grow, in a couple of years we can look over here and our, there goes our competitor right there right past us and he's on the way to races and we're sitting here wondering what happened. 
So you 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 you, you got to think forward. Don't ever think that you got the right idea. Watch what they're doing. Get 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 a, get a jump on the thing. I mean, we we, we our our business one tough part about our business, toughest part from from operational stand, not from operational, but from uh, from management of, of the whole business. The, 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 the toughest thing of uh, of all of that is. Uh, is taking our business and, uh, and what it costs today, the the the, the big uh, granular mixers that we have. I bought one of them in 1963. I was just telling them this one, and I paid sixteen thousand dollars for it and had to install it, but oh, delivered on the site about sixteen thousand. And we're doing work for Proctor. That's what they liked that that mixer. So about three or four years later, whatever it was, I bought another one. And I think I probably paid around $35,000 for it. Then a few more years down the road, I needed two more, so I bought two more, and I paid right out $100,000 for each one of them. And now that company never saw the handwriting on the wall because granular product, when I started Campco, granular product, anything, you look in the store, look anywhere else, most of the product, 90% of all the product that was sold or made for any purpose was granular, which is powder or whatever. Or liquid, and everybody said, "Well, liquid, liquid is never going to be any good because it's too expensive." Well, what happened was, as they learned later, uh, first thing, the unions came in, and we were putting everything for commercial use now in hundred-pound bags. Couldn't use hundred-pound bags; they had to go to fifty-pound bags. This made that a little more expensive. What as cheap as it was before. Now it's in fifty-pound bags. The next thing that came along, after uh, after they uh, uh, did that, was. Uh, uh, let's see. Uh, Got to get this right here. They came. Oh, they came along with uh, the the liquid and when they put this laundry detergent into big washing machines, and this my washing machines were getting bigger. So we sold it in bags or even hundred pound, five hundred pound drums. They take a scoop and you know put three scoops into the washing machine. Well, if you ain't careful, one of them little things flies up and gets in your eye. Now you got a burn eye. Eventually, it's okay, but. So anyway, they, they were getting sued right and left. So all of a sudden, what, what looked like was going to be the most expensive way to clean everything else became the most economical way. They had to go liquid. Now everything's liquid. I mean, right now, we're probably 90% liquid and 10% granular. Maybe we're a little bit more because we're one of the few people in our business that still has the equipment to make it. A lot of people, had, they just... It got so expensive, and there wasn't that much of it. They just went out. Well, they went out. We got the business. They went out. We got the business. So we do a lot of granular work. But uh, and we bring in, uh, you know, you see these big tank trucks. That usually they're hauling gasoline or fuel oil or something like that down the road. Uh, but we, we, a lot of our liquid chemicals come in, and, and, and granular chemicals come in, and we blow them up in tanks, and it's all automatic. And, I mean, we unload uh, granular trucks there. They got... They got granules in there, like powder stuff. They got that, and you wouldn't believe that that truck's got 40, between 40 and 50,000 pounds, and it, and it unloads itself. We don't have to do anything. Well, we have to hook it up. I could do this for three hours, man. Yeah, this is great. <laughs> yeah. So why don't we go ahead, we want to talk about the next generation, which would then be Richard, and then talk- The one who's the, getting older. Yeah, the one who's getting gray over there, I guess. <laughs> but we'll, why don't we take a quick break, and then okay. uh, we will be right back. 
All right, welcome back. At this point, I think it would be a great time. We're going to bring in Richard here, uh, young Richard. But he, you know, I guess Pops is saying you got some grays, but you still look good in my in my book here. But uh, <laughs> oh, I appreciate that. Uh, he is the current CEO, but soon to be retired here, I guess, as of January 1st. Or January 1st, I guess that's, how many days is that? Four days? And they gave you your guest pass already at the Christmas party, right? They did. Uh, at the, I was at the last Christmas party. Uh, with all the employees, and they gave me a visitor's badge, Riding which I thought was yeah, that was thinking ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I think as we've gone through this podcast, we've heard Dick here, you know, the the start, and then on to the early ages of Camco, and then obviously as we 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 spoke about how you've you know continued to carry on the company and take it to new heights, and, and so would love to bring in you and and uh, learn what your journey here. That uh, you know, from Dick to to you, Richard, and uh, where you've taken the company and where you see it go moving forward. Oh well, thank you. Um, uh, I guess to go back to the time that um, I, I mean, I've worked at Camco since I was very young. I, I I used to work when I was in in gosh, I guess in in high school. Um, maybe pulled weeds and stuff when I was in grade school. Sometimes. Um, uh, you know, you drift away from the business a little bit when you get into to high school and on into college. And certainly when you go away to college, I went away to college. Um, so, so you drift away from the business. And in summers and stuff, I really didn't want to work in the company. I thought I could do, you know, uh, it, I had found it's really dirty and back there and all that sort of stuff. And I thought I could do better. So my dad had a, a, a sort of a gentry farm out in the country. And um, he got me hooked up with guys working tobacco and stuff. And I, th that, so when I got out of college, I thought the factory sounded just fine. <laughs> um, but in both those jobs and, and stuff, uh, referring to a lot of what my dad said earlier, um, you know, it did teach you to work and it taught you to have a lot of respect for the guys that were doing the work. Um, I know um, my father talked a lot to his leadership when he's out um, building the business and talking to customers, and that's a big part of it. Um, but when we were growing up, a big part of it was also, um, having respect for the guys who were doing the job a, a lot because he was one of the guys doing the job and, uh, you know, he, he liked those guys and he taught us to like those guys. Um, and, and it's been a big part of what Camco has been going forward. Um, you know, we have a lot of people here, you know, working labor jobs out on the shop floor. And you have to like them and you have to want to encourage them and be part of that because if it's not genuine, they know that. And that was one of the lessons that he taught me. Um, so growing up with that, I was always, uh, uh, after I got out of college, you wanted to be a part of the business and you wanted to be a part of that journey. Um, and that, those early years working in the company um, would teach you uh, a business adage that pop, you know, for me carries through to this day. And, and for the most part, um, it is something that was mentioned earlier. The company's either growing or it's probably getting smaller. And that has to do with that same part of leadership of the guys on the shop floor. You can take a lot of people if you're going somewhere, but if you're not going somewhere, not many people want to follow. Right. And if you're getting good people in, and we've been fortunate to have a lot of great people work at Camco, uh, a lot of great people here right now. Um, you have to be growing and building and going somewhere to have room for them so they feel like they got a place to go. 
but you know, the, everybody wants to be on a winning team. If you want to get the best people, you want to be the winning team. Uh, and, and so, you know, learning that in the back, um, was a big part of what made me want to be a part of the company and prepared me to, to do more for the company when I got the opportunity. So you graduate. So you started with the company, I think we said around 82, 83. Yeah. And then at what point, obviously you worked your way up and out, you know, out online and just really learning, you know, the, the business inside and out at what, what year did you take over? I, you know, I'm not even actually sure. Uh, <laughs> does anybody know? <laughs> uh, you know, I, what I can what, what was it? 16 years ago. Okay. The committee says 16 years ago. There we'll go we go with that. Um, I, you know, I, I, I don't know you know, when, when you're a young guy and you're working and you're working your way up and stuff and in a family business, especially you might, you might relate to this. Um, I didn't know what, where I was going to go in the company and I didn't, you know, the company had grown by that point to a, to a certain degree. It was not a small business. Um, you know, I didn't expect to be, uh, put in the position of being president and I, you know, it was a surprise to me and, um, that I guess coming out of that respect for people on the floor and all that sort of stuff. I was very fortunate to have um, a group of people who were politi you know, politically connected inside the company, you know, with the, with the key employees out on the floor, with the key employees who were out in the office and all that sort of stuff. And they were very encouraging and, 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 and backed me up and gave me the confidence to just, just to go with it and have been fortunate to be successful. And so now a few days from retirement, it's, it's a pretty big pleasure. Um, you know, to have been successful for your dad um, and for your family. Yeah, I mean, what what a great, I mean, this is just incredible. If you really got, if you really think about, you have your father here, you're retiring, the business and obviously in good hands. I'm a little biased. I, I like these guys over here. So, <laughs> um, but I mean, how, I mean, explain this, you know, see the pictures in the background. I mean, to me, it's emotional. How, I mean, how do you, how do you feel with your father here? You're retiring. Um, with the, obviously the cool, two coolest, uh, co-hosts of the underdog podcast, but, Very much so, <laughs> but I mean, what does this all mean to you? Well, it, it's, it, it, it can choke me up a little bit, so I, I won't, I won't get too personal with it. We had our family Christmas party just last night and I was talking to some of the folks here. Um, and I don't know how it came up, but, uh, I can hear myself saying the statement, you know, if, if you're me and you're not happy, you've, you've got some serious issues. Because I've, I, I'm very blessed. Um, everybody, you know, we have a, not very much drama in our family. Uh, everybody in the family is supportive of the business. Uh, my dad, who's um, financially pretty wizard-like, has it set up in such a way that, um, uh, you know, a, a good amount of the money that the company can generate stays available to the business to, to continue to grow, um, and. That kind of has been a governor for all of us when we were younger. Um, it, you know, the, the young guys, the third generation, and not many, not many businesses have the opportunity to last 60 years. And family businesses that, that last into a third generation is, is quite rare. And, you know, I honestly believe that the, the guys I have coming up behind me will do better than I did by far. 
um, and nothing would make me happier. So it's a wonderful feeling. It, it's a really good feeling. Yeah, absolutely. Surround yourself with good people. We say that all the time, you know. So um, <clears throat> I would definitely like to talk, you know, about the, you know, the impact, uh, you know, in the grandchildren, because um, I know. Dick, you've mentioned this as well. You mentioned this on Saturday. Um, the most, I guess, probably the best gift that you've been given throughout this entire beautiful 98, 88. Sorry about that. <laughs> He's added 10 years to you. Close, close. <laughs> you think mispronouncing his name was bad? <laughs> Just giving him, you know, a few more years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but you mentioned how important, you know, your grandchildren and, and your family are. Um, do you want to touch on just kind of the, you know, that aspect of, you know, being able to be here and what do they call you? Uh, double, Papa, Pop, G, double, double G, G Papa, double G Papa. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about double G Papa. Yeah. Double G Papa. Double G Papa. Yeah. 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 That, that stuck great, with me. Great grandchildren. Great. <laughs> uh, yeah, what is 15? This is just a recap. 15 great grandchildren. No, 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 17? No. 19. 19. No. Okay. The number keeps growing. Yeah, that, was, that wasn't since Yeah. That was the book. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> but it is nice. and the book, yeah, the book was cut. Some of them weren't around at that time. Okay. And then how many grandchildren? So you got seven. So 19 great grandchildren, seven grandchildren, three children, and then three of your own. Okay. All right. We got it right, finally. But, uh, Something right. We've always but been a hard working family. Uh, yes. That's still a, uh, uh, you yeah. know, to think that I, if somebody would have asked me, my oldest great grandchild is 10. If somebody would have asked me 11 years ago, you think I have any great grandchildren? Well, maybe. I mean, you think you think I have? I would have never even. I I couldn't have possibly dreamed of nineteen. <laughs> <laughs> and I will tell you what, it's interesting to watch them grow up because when they get to, and I I see them at all ages, and I got them at all ages. But if you see them grow, starting to grow up, and they, they their minds starting to develop, I've already got some. I I don't pick them out. They they have to show me or show Richard or show Jason or or Adrian. They have to show them what they're going to. do. But I already got some. I think they'll be working at Camco, and that may be. They'll, they'll have to start in the summertime. That's how we all started. You know, they have to start in the summertime, maybe sweeping the floor, doing whatever. But we will have we will have some of them working there. And, boy, I wish I won't be around. I wish I were, but I won't be around 20 years, I can guarantee you. I mean, I'm stretching 10. I'd like to be there 10. He was calling you 98, so you're already... Well, I'm already there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm moving on. To, well, my, my next birthday is my last one, with my, which starts with an eight after that. They start with nines. Yeah. So let's just... But they're, 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 I think there's... And those young kids are smarter than we were. Way smarter than I ever was, for sure. You know, what they know is, is unbelievable. Yes. And, that's a, and that's primarily uh, the children of one. But it's their parents. Yeah. Their yeah. parents. They're, they're, they're without... But, you know, when you see kids brought onto earth and then they're not even liked, not even known, and they're not taken care of in any way, they don't have a chance compared to the other ones, you know? It's just wonderful to, to, to see those young kids grow up and how excited they, they they were pretty excited last night when Santa Claus came. <laughs> now, Dick, what do you see? I know Richard, you know, talk about the third generation to handing over to uh, the other guys in this room. What, what do you... What do you see in this next, um, you know, next generation of well, where, leadership? Where do we go? Mm -hmm. Of ownership? Or just any, well, anything? Where, where's Campco going? 
Well, you know, it's, I, I, I'm dreaming pretty big, and, uh, and and things can happen, and things can happen good, and things can happen bad. But uh, on the good side of growth, I I see Camco eventually having four or five divisions. We make most of our products are all cleaning products of some nature to clean something. The next thing after the cleaning products, I want the next division, which would be totally different than this, would be personal care products. Now, there's a whole other list of things you can put together for other people. Then you have food. That's another thing you can put together for people. Then you have manufacturing equipment, or not equipment, but supplies, you know, plaster and whatever, not plaster, but, you know, paint, all that. So there's a whole, but I, I, I see it growing very quickly. Uh, I hope very quickly. But by quickly, I mean talking about five-year increments, maybe 10, eight to 10. No pressure. But, uh, <laughs> but, 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 but it'll grow faster now than it did because we got more people. Right. Spread out. When one, one, one has to do all the thoughts for all the angles, we got somebody working here, somebody working there, somebody working there. Cam Camco could be, well, I, I can see Camco being a, I, I like to think we're a PG. We're just a baby PNG. That's all. And then we, we're going to be there. We're going to have, like, a PNG there. PNG, you know, PNG started in business, they didn't even make soap. That wasn't their first product. Their first product was, was, was uh, candles. They made candles. And the reason they made candles was because candles are made out of tallow, and tallow is made out of pigs. When they killed the pig, they got the tallow left over. Cincinnati was where all the pigs were. That's why it was, you know, that was the name of Cincinnati, you know. Yep. Por 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 Porkopolis. Porkopolis. Yep. Yeah, I helped you on that one. Yep, yeah. So poor I, I I've been messing it. up all day, so at least I'm, I'm getting. Recovered. But anyway, it's um, it's um, you know, it, I can see Camco growing. Now that's we're talking 25, 30, 40 years down the road when these great grandkids will be the ones sitting here and talking. You, you're gone. I'm gone. We're all of us are probably gone. You'll be gone. But somebody will be You'll here. Be gone. Somebody soon. I don't think I'm making forty. I'm not even making half your age, but. Um, got to work on his yeah, diet. Yeah, I got to, I got to, I got to drink a lot of Monster. Yeah, yeah, this is not good. But anyway, it's um, you know, I, I see it. You know, but but it, it, believe it or not, it can happen, and it won't happen if you don't think about it, and if you don't do so. People always say, "How would you like to grow?" Well, you tell them that, but they don't really do anything about it. You got to do something about it. Saying you want to be bigger, you want to do this, that's all fine, but you got to do it. You know, absolutely happens, and I think we can. Now, as we can, you know, come to the conclusion here, would love to see you. Like, what, what do you think? We'll start with Richard. What do you think uh, your legacy that you've left here? And we kind of maybe touch upon it briefly, but maybe just kind of recap, um, you know, your legacy within the the Camco business. Well, I think um, what I've wanted to do, and I and I think I've been successful, is to build a stage that the rest of the future of the company can be built on. You want to leave people with the tools they need to move on. Uh, I feel like my dad, you know, he was the entrepreneur who started the company, and that takes a particular set of skills. And um, and he handed us, handed me a wonderful opportunity. Um, when the company grows in scale, um, the challenges all become different, and they're not harder, but they're different. And they, you know, sometimes you have to do different things to do that. And to get the company to the point where it has, um, uh, you know up with the times with the, you know, the computer system and that sort of stuff to have, um, developed an administrative system that has lots of departments so that, you know, we're no longer a small business where, uh, one person's doing the bookkeeping and the accounting and, and payroll and doing all these sorts of things. Um, we've got, 
the various, you know, personnel and departments to do those things, both administratively and out on the shop floor, uh, that takes a lot of coordination and systems for people to be able to uh, communicate with each other and to stay um, happy and healthy and moving forward as a team. I feel like I started that journey and that's, that, that's very much what I wanted to do most and to hand that over to these guys and uh, use that as a launching pad to do what they want to do. Yeah, no, and, and like I said, this is just to watch the different generations, you know, right here in person uh, today um, is fantastic. And obviously, I think you've left this place from what I've seen and where this place has gone in the last, you know, I guess almost 15 years I've been involved is, is incredible. Now, Dick, on to you, um, you know, what what is your legacy, lasting le- legacy as we conclude here? What what do you... Um, okay, I uh, probably a very short legacy and very what i'd like to see happen i like to trade places with jason let him have my job i'll take his job at his age <laughs> i'll jump under that i'll trade him in a heartbeat he can have this job he can do whatever he wants but i like to have his job i'd, I'd do it all over in a heartbeat i really would i would i, I think it's fantastic yeah and you you say and let me pull up pulling up the book here somewhere oh it's it's actually right here right in the front yeah um i was once asked what what I would like to hear said about me when my time comes, my first thought was this. I'd like to be around to hear it. Yeah. Maybe, though, I'd like people to recognize that I tried my best and I did it my way. And that's it? Is that how you'd that's sum it up? Book. Yes, that, that for short order, that's it. You know, and sometimes the best uh, talk you can give or the best information you can give is the shortest. If you try to tell them too much, they forget it all. But if you tell them, tell them one or two things, they go home and remember it. And that's it. And that's what I'd, I'd like to be. It's, I'd give anything to start over, but uh, I don't think that's going to happen. Well, uh, <laughs> well, a couple things I think. Well, first of all, thank you guys so much. And thank you for everyone for being here. It's been a very special day for us. And hopefully you guys have enjoyed the experience too. But um, you've done it from everything you're, you're – You've left, I mean, myself, just studying your, your your path has been something that I will take on with me um, and doing it. I hope to do it my way as well. And, and your whole family and everyone here, um, I think, is very proud of you. And I know uh, I am as well. So um, look forward to watching you continue. Thank when you. When you get to be 100, you're coming back. Well, have so have let's happen. make sure okay. that's, that's Well, you know, they had a big birthday party on my, uh, what was it, 80th? 80. 75th, 85th, 80th, 80th here at Richard's house. We had a party for me and a birthday party. And uh, I told him then I was going to say a few words. The first thing I asked him to do was to take out their billfold and a little calendar that they have in their billfold and mark down 10 more years from there and save the date because I want to see all of you here for my 90th. And we're almost there. Almost there. We've almost made it. So thank you guys. Appreciate on on behalf of the UDP. Thank you guys so much. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the underdog podcast. Please subscribe and rate our podcast on the Apple and Google podcast apps and send our Twitter handle a screenshot of your rating at underdog pod with your shirt size for a chance to win a free t-shirt. See you next week on the UDP.